Good morning. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you as we continue to worship you today. God, this Christmas season can be so rushed, to lack of a better word. Lord, I just pray that at this time, as we continue to worship you through the opening of your word, that you would calm our hearts, focus our attention upon you. And dear Lord, I, I want to preach so that you are glorified. I want to, to speak of you and, and praise you. And Lord, there's no amount of gifting that can make this turn out well without your spirit. So Lord, I pray that you would make this turn out well. And by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with the necessary power, the appropriate affection. Use this sermon, God, for your glory, for the joy of your people and the salvation of the lost. And amen. So our Advent reading today was found in Luke 1, and that's where we'll be preaching out of and taking some time this morning. The birth of Jesus foretold. It goes like this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, and the house of David, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will, there will be no ends. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am your servant. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. As we look at this, as we continue in our sermon series, just taking a look at different perspectives of Christmas, I'm quickly reminded of the importance of trust. You know, we walk through every day, we wake up expressing some sort of trust in something. Like when we go and we turn the light on in the morning, we expect that the light will actually turn on. And what happens when that light doesn't? We just flick it off and on, like continuously, like something's going to change. You know that by definition, that means we're insane. (laughs) I'm just saying. We put our trust in, in many things, like for cars, for example. 
And when we don't even understand, like I, I understand that there's electricity and it comes through the power lines and, and it gets into my house, it goes to the fuse box and it goes throughout the whole house through these electrical wires. I understand that. Where does it come from? Nobody really knows. Like, if my dad was here, he'd be like, come on, Nate. And he's an electrical engineer, so he should know. But I don't, right? And the same thing goes with my car. When I go and I turn on my car, I have no idea how a combustion engine works. Did you know, well, outside of that, it's really like a bomb on wheels. It's, it's like these little explosions that are happening in this metal container. Like, this, who thought of this? Like, I trust that my car will turn on when I turn that ignition without understanding how and why this is about to happen. We go through life all the time expecting things to just simply work, even though we really don't understand how and why they are working. And as I get into Luke 1, I see this sort of thing coming out here in this young woman named Mary. She's expressing a lot of trust. And we'll be taking a look at how God put a call on her life and why she was able to trust in this, even though she may not have the biggest picture. Because we put trust in things every day. You got here putting trust in something. You got out of bed putting trust in something. Yet here is this young woman who puts an amazing amount of trust in her God. So why was she able to do that? So the angel announcement, as we look at this text, we need to see that Luke is making a parallel statement here. Before this, uh, Luke is actually, he talks about John, and we kind of get a little glimpse of that in this text as, as the angel announces to Mary about her cousin Elizabeth, who is, was barren and who's in her sixth month of pregnancy. But before this, the angel, same angel, goes to Elizabeth and, and her husband and says, you're going to have a child. And Luke begins to paint this picture of the parallelism between the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. And here's the parallel. John is called, as we see in verse 15, for he will be great before the Lord. But in this announcement that Gabriel gives to Mary, there's a little bit of a difference here. Actually, it's not just a little bit. It's an astronomical difference. Jesus is described as great without qualification. He is the Son of God. He is God. So God sends an announcement to this young girl in some backwater town where, as we see later on in Luke, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Nothing. We have this young girl betrothed to be married in this backwater town. No popularity. She wasn't a princess. She wasn't some person of, of elevation within her culture. She was a peasant girl. And not only that, she lived in some town where no one thought anything good came out of. There was nothing, absolutely nothing special about her at all. There was nothing in her. 
But then again, we come and we see how the angel calls her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. See, from our perspective, she was insignificant. But God had a different perspective. She's a, a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. So why is she favored? Have you ever thought about that as you read this? She was the great, but she will have the greatest honor that any woman has ever had. She will bear the Son of God. What an amazing thing. She was chosen to be the mother of Jesus, and her lowly estate was all part of God's plan. And as I quickly look over this, God's grace is being poured out on her. The the word favored one, it, it actually means God's grace, unmerited favor has been given to her. What an amazing thing. God's grace is shining through, and I'm reminded that God's grace is for the lowly. It's not for those who think much of themselves. It's for those people who think they can't get any lower. They think they can't get out of that mess that they're in. God's grace is for the lowly, it's for the broken. God was showing grace to Mary, and God was with her to bless her, not because of her own merit, but because God simply chose her. This young girl in some backwater town, like redneck. I don't know if you've ever been to Alabama. I have. Every joke is true. Hopefully my wife's cousins aren't watching this right now. (laughs) That's what Mary was in. Nothing else of her own. There was nothing of her own merit. God simply bestowed upon her grace. So the word that the angel uses for favor comes from the Greek word for grace. It means to be treated with undeserved kindness. She would be the one who would bear the Son of God. So there's this wonderful picture that floats around um, Facebook, or usually around this time, or Instagram. And, it's a, and you may have seen it. It's a picture of, of Mary and Eve. And, there, and there's Eve, and there's Mary. She's pregnant. And, and it's just this wonderful picture of the grace that God has poured out. Through one woman, sin entered into the world, but through another woman, the Savior of the world would come. God's grace on the lowly. And this is what the angel announced. But as we look at this, you know, I I was quickly reminded of this. In Catholic traditions, they have the Hail Mary, right? Not the football term. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Jesus, holy Mary, mother of God, Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of death. There's a little bit of a problem with that prayer. Actually, it's a big problem. You see, it treats Mary as the source of grace rather than the object of grace. See, Mary had to receive as much grace as we do. People pray for Mary because they think she has grace to give, 
What the Bible actually says right here is that Mary was the recipient of God's grace, not the repository of God's grace. Mary had been graced by God in that she had been chosen to bear God's son. She had not been chosen for the task because she possessed a particular piety or holiness. She was, or merit of her privilege, it was purely grace. Grace is for the lowly. And do you think you're too far? Maybe you think you're not good enough. Maybe you think you don't have enough money, or you don't have it all together, or you're not old enough, you're not young enough, or healthy enough, or whatever the enough is. You're in the right spot. God's grace is undeserved merit. Mary was experiencing God's grace. And through this announcement, the greatest event in history was about to happen. The coming of the Son of God. God was showing Mary unmerited favor. And it was by His grace she would give birth to the one that we could experience. Through, we could experience this grace, an unbelievable grace. Because who is this Son? He is Jesus means God saves, or the Lord saves. Jesus will be a Savior. He would bring salvation to sinners by dying on the cross in shame and then rising again in glory. Even from the announcement of his birth, his name testifies to his saving work. Jesus is the salvation of the world. And he will be great. John the Baptist was described as great before the Lord, but Jesus is the Lord. So Gabriel said that he would be great, and Jesus is indeed great. So great is God's greatness that he alone deserves to be called great. I have a really bad habit. And it's, it's this, I always say great. You know, someone says a statement, and I always say, great, thanks, or great, see you then, or, or great. And I'm not going to come up here and, you know, whatever. We need to understand, though, that the word great is to espouse only to Christ and God himself. By saying that Jesus would be great, Gabriel was proclaiming that Jesus Christ is God, not just a good teacher. He is God. No one is greater than He. Jesus is great in wisdom, great in power, great in love, great in majesty of His divine being. His greatness is the greatness of God. Do we get the point? He's great. He is the Son of God. He's great. He's the Son of God, as Gabriel continues on. He has the divine sonship. He is the eternal second person of the Trinity, God, the eternal Son. There is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is God, and He will rule forever. The ancient promises were fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is the Son of David, and Israel's eternal King. This was the angel's announcement. Mary would give birth to a son named Jesus who would be the great Savior and the Son of God, the most powerful ruler in the history of the world. Do you trust the angel's promise? It was written so that you would know for sure. So that you would believe in Jesus as your Savior. Worship him as your great God. 
and serve him as your elevated king, the everlasting king. But as I look at, at the angel's announcement, I don't know about you, but I'm still left with some questions. And I know Mary would have been, because she asks it. She's left with just a little bit of a question, because there's this little problem here. So what was happening why was an angel talking to her? What, what, what had he come to say? And the angel comes here and, and, she, and he knows all these questions that are still in her head. And he doesn't just leave her hanging and leave. He actually begins to answer them. So Mary, in verse 34, her main question is this. I think it's a pretty obvious one. How will this be since I'm a virgin? That's a pretty good question. How will this be since I'm a virgin? Literally, I know no man. I have never had sex. How in the world am I supposed to have a baby? It's a legitimate. So the problem is given, but the solution is also given. So here's the thing. If John's birth was miraculous because a senior citizen had a baby... Like, that's mind-blowing, right? But Jesus' birth birth wasn't the result of normal sexual relations. See, Elizabeth still got pregnant the normal, old-fashioned way. Jesus did not. The whole, remember, there's a whole parallel being created here. Jesus' birth had to be greater than that of John the Baptist. And this requires us to understand his birth as a virgin birth. Luke told his readers this as he prepares them in verse 35. So Mary had a legitimate question. How will this be? Mary did not ask this question in unbelief. Here Luke is drawing a clear contrast here between Zechariah's doubts and Mary's faith. See, if you remember the story a few verses before, Zechariah says something a little different. When old Zechariah receives the promise of a son, he asks, how shall I know this? In verse 18. He wasn't sure whether to believe the angel or not, so he wanted some kind of confirmation. And you know what he does? You know what the angel does? We remember this story, right? He couldn't talk. He was a pastor who couldn't talk. Like, there's a lot of humor in this. Zechariah doubted. Mary doesn't. As she continues on, Mary asks a completely different question. How will this be? In other words, she wanted to know how this could happen. Unlike Zachariah, she believed that the angel's promise would come true, but she was still curious. How is a virgin going to have a baby? She was curious to know how it would happen and perhaps to know whether there were, was anything that she needed to do. But here's the main point. Mary was embracing God's call on her life. Even though she was still curious, God called and she said, Yep. So the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So Mary asked the same question that people will still ask today. How can this happen? How can a woman become pregnant without having sexual relationships or sexual relations? 
The answer is very simple. If you believe in the power of God, it is very simple. The answer is that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is the miracle of the virgin birth that Christians have been confessing forever. We see it in the Apostles' Creed, which says, He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We also see in the Nicene Creed, by the, God the Son was incarnated by the Holy Spirit to the Virgin Mary and was made man. This is how Mary had a son. The child in the womb came from the Holy Spirit. Her pregnancy is an act of divine grace. It's the creative power of the Holy Spirit. See, if we come along, there's a lot of weird stuff going on this Christmas season. I don't know why. It seems to be a little weirder than normal. Like the other day, someone showed me an article from some tabloid thing in the, in the UK that said that Mary was, uh, didn't give consent to God to be born. And I went, what? It's like, it said, hashtag me too. Nothing against that movement. I think we need to be careful of that thing. But Mary does give her consent as the text continues to go on. See, if we deny this, we deny the faith. According to Luke, Mary had a child before she had intercourse. Do we believe this or not? If we say that Jesus was not born of a virgin, then either we believe that Mary was sexually immoral or that Luke was a writer of fiction or both. You have to believe that if you call yourself a Christian. When we deny what the Holy Spirit did, we deny the deity of Christ, Jesus. Because it is his conception by the Holy Spirit that makes him the Holy Son of God. Jesus had to be born of a woman to be man. To be our sacrifice. But if he had been in the physical offspring of Joseph, then he would have been nothing more than a mere man. How could he be the sacrifice that we needed on the cross if he was just a man? His virgin birth, his divine conception by the Spirit, these things were necessary. And only the virgin birth preserves the humanity and the deity of Christ. He is 100% both. One person, two natures. A divine nature and a human nature. And because he was conceived by a unique creative act of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was not corrupted by the guilt of our sin, which makes him the sacrifice for us. As the text continues on to put the nail in the coffin of this question, the Gabriel continues on, gives more evidence of what is about to happen. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. Just in case. You were kind of maybe a little doubting it a little bit. I'll give you a little bit more. And then the angel says these wonderful words. For nothing will be impossible with God. The angel told Mary this to prove the power of God, which he declared in this most memorable, memorable, 
phrase. There you go. Nothing will be impossible with God. God was able to bring a child from the barren womb. If he was able to do this, then by the power of the Holy Spirit, he could just as well make a virgin conceive and bear a son. And if God could perform a miracle of the virgin birth, then he is quite capable of handling the difficulties in our daily lives. Do you believe that? Because God made a woman who had never had sex to have a baby. Nothing is impossible with God. This is a verse to live by. J.C. Ryle said, A hearty reception of this great principle is of immense importance to our own inward peace. How do I go throughout life without understanding that God can do the impossible? There is no pastor that stands behind a pulpit to preach the word of God, who, well, at least a good one, who does not understand this because they are living proof of the impossible happening. God can do anything. Is there anything in your life that seems impossible? Perhaps it seems impossible for your great sin to be forgiven especially after all the times you've, you've tried not to do it again, but you've failed miserably. For nothing will be impossible with God. Perhaps it seems impossible for your family to be restored after all the heartbreak and for, for joy to come again. Maybe it seems impossible for your physical and financial needs to be met or for you, or for your work, or your studies. Or maybe for me, it's a question of how God can bring dry bones to life again. It may seem impossible to endure the suffering that has come into your life, or for someone you love to come to Christ, but the Bible says, God says in his word, Nothing will be impossible with God. He is the God of the virgin birth. There is no sin he cannot forgive. There is no relationship he cannot reconcile. No problem he cannot resolve. No need he cannot meet. No ministry he cannot bless. No grief he cannot comfort. No life he cannot reclaim. And no sinner he cannot save. Nothing is impossible with God. Do I believe it? I was reading this and I was like, I was re- I was I on Sundays I get up really early and it's the only time I do because it's you're crazy if you do. <laughs> I firmly believe that it's a sign of the fall to wake up before six. I'm joking, by the way. <laughs> okay. And I was up there, but every Sunday I get up early so that I can spend some time in, in, in the Word, doing some devotions and praying and going over my sermon. And I was just hit really hard with this this morning. Do I believe this? Do I truly believe that nothing is impossible with God? Because Mary did. 
And here's her response in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The word there is literally bondservant, slave. I am your slave. Mary's response wasn't doubts that God could use her. And she embraces God's call because she knew that she could take God at his word. And that's the question that I was plagued with this morning. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. See, in Hebrews 11, verse 1, we see, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Mary had assurance. Mary had assurance. She was able to confess her faith and accept God's call. She was able to accept God's call in her life because she took God at his word. If I truly believe this is the perfect word of God, the inerrant, infallible word of God, I should be able to take everything in it as his word. And believe it. And trust it. And when God says he will comfort, I have to believe he will comfort. When when he says that he can make dry bones come to life again, I have to believe it because God said it. So how could Mary respond as she did? Mary's response was out of her trust of taking God at his word. Because she trusted God, she could embrace his call. So how do we define this? I wanted to take a couple minutes. Sometimes, I was a youth pastor, and one of the major questions has always been, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know what God wants me to do. And it's like we fall into this trap that God plays sick jokes on us trying to figure out what his will is for our lives. God has revealed his will for our lives in his word already. So if you want to know what he has called you to do, read his word. One of those things is to go and make disciples of all nations, explicitly telling us all to do that. See, how rare is it to find someone who is willing to trust God for the impossible and then obey him without hesitation or qualification? I'm one of those people. On on a good day, I'm a realist. You can talk to Steph. On a bad day, I'm like the worst pessimist you'll ever meet. That's who I am. And I have to challenge myself. Is anything impossible? For my God. During this Christmas season, as I'm reminded of the virgin birth, is anything impossible for my God? Will I trust him and embrace the call that he's given me? Even some of the great heroes of the faith tried to wiggle out of doing what God said. Think about Moses, who asked God to send someone else to lead the people out of the Exodus. Or think of Gideon. Oh, don't get me started on Gideon. Like that Gideon. If you don't know who Gideon is, go read the Bible. Judges. 
who said he couldn't deliver Israel because he was the weakest man from the weakest tribe. What did God do? Here, there we go. Used him. Or of Jeremiah who said he was too young for the job. But Mary was a woman of great faith. On a side note, there are many of us who would call a child a baby, or even a baby even. And I kept thinking about this as Mary. To the best of our knowledge, she's like a young teenager, 13, 14 years old. She's betrothed to be married, so she's not married yet. That's just how things happened back then. How many of us look down at youth? Yet here God is using a young person who simply will embrace the call of God. And she obeys without hesitation. When you look through church history, God uses the young and the naive to do great and mighty things. Most of the missionary movements that we still get to take advantage of were started by students. Revivals started by students. So age has no factor in this. It has to do with trusting God at his word and embracing his call on my life. Are you going to embrace God's call on your life? Am I going to embrace God's call on my life? The other day, last week, uh, the Apostle Paul charges Timothy to do the work of the evangelist. And I, and I firmly believe that as a leader, as a pastor, I can't tell you to do something if I'm not doing it myself. That's called being a hypocrite, just letting you know. So there I am, I'm walking outside, I'm doing these little door hangers. I'm going door to door in the neighborhood, hanging these door hangers. That's all I'm doing is hanging door handles. And I'm praying them through. But very much in the front of my mind, not the back of my mind, the front of my mind, as I'm praying that God would be glorified as I hang out these, these, co- these door hangers, so there's a gospel message on the back that has a spelling mistake. But it's there. I am fearful that someone's actually going to open the door. <laughs> like, it's there. I'm like, oh, God, someone's going to open the door. Or someone's going to yell across the street and say, hey, come back here. I'm a shy person. I don't... Yes, I'm shy. Yes, this has nothing to do with being shy, being up here. Will I embrace God's call? Do I trust that he can do the impossible? Because if I believe in the virgin birth, I have to believe that God can do the impossible. Because he did. And he will. So as I was praying this morning, I'm praying, God, forgive me of my unbelief. Because it's the only response to what I hear from this. Because I act differently than what I say a lot of the times. I act differently. God, forgive me of my unbelief when I think this sin is just so ingrained that you can't get me out of it. God, forgive me of my unbelief that you will give up on me. God, forgive me of my unbelief 
that you will stop doing the good work that you've begun in me. God can do the impossible. Because he made a virgin, had a baby. And it wasn't the first time he made a senior citizen have a baby. He seems to have a habit of doing that. Aren't you glad that we don't live in that time? Huh? All the future dads and moms are like, oh yes. God can do the impossible. And Mary can do, and Mary embraces her call because she simply takes God at his word. If you feel that you lack the faith to step forward, it's because you lack an understanding of the object of your faith. We have to be in the word of God daily, reminding ourselves of the God who can do the impossible. Because he can bring the dead to life. He can bring those who are in active rebellion against the holy God into a right relationship with him. God can work in amazing ways. He can save drug addicts. And he can save the church pharisaical kid like me. He can do that. He can use me and my little door hangers. They're actually not that little. They're like this big. Walking door to door and hanging a door. Just because I'm taking God at his word. That God can do the impossible. He can make dry bones come to life again. You know, we see this in Mark Mark, uh, Mark 9, A man comes up to Jesus and has often cast him out into the fire. He's talking about his son and the, whole, and the spirit that's in him and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, this is what the man says, if you can do anything, he's saying this to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. How often do we cry out to God, God, if you can do something, please do it. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, I love this, help my unbelief. Now in Ezekiel we see the same thing. God brings Ezekiel to this valley of dry bones. And he says to him in verse 3 of chapter 37, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. You can feel the doubt in him. God can do anything. Mary steps out in this crazy thing and says, I am your slave. Because she is embracing God's call on her life. Because she's taking God at his word. God can do the impossible. Do you believe that? And if not, be like me. Oh God, help my unbelief. Let us repent of those things and stand in awe of the God who can do anything and loves us enough to walk with us during this unbelief. Let us continue to worship him.